Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Hey, New City, it's John Carlos. I'm Favo. Hola. Bye. Um, we still exist. We're alive. Uh, it's good to see you online. Thank you for joining us at church this morning. Um, we are having an important conversation right now, not only as a church, but uh, as a city, as a country. And, and, and this series is about having a non-naive Christian analysis of defunding the police. Yeah. And today we're talking about something I think is incredibly relevant to each of us, incredibly timely. We're talking about systems and stigmas. A look at Jesus, mental health, and the police. Yeah. Yeah. And... And, and before we get started, before we get going, I want to address one idea. Whenever we talk about public policy, whenever we talk about political issues, there's always someone somewhere who's like, hey, let's stop talking about um, public policy and let's go back to talking about Jesus, right? There, there's, there's this idea, you, you'll find it in some Facebook comments, where people believe that God shows up in Bible studies, but he doesn't show up in city hall. God shows up in prayer time, but he doesn't show up to protest. God shows up in worship songs, but he doesn't care about systematic racism, right? Yeah, we hear these kind of things. Let's go back to talking about, about Jesus. Yeah, and, and with all due respect, um, that idea promotes a really small God. Because the God I know, the God I worship, the God I follow, doesn't just care about an hour on Sunday morning. He cares about the cries of the oppressed. He cares about the hurt in our city. He cares about the pain his children experience. Yeah, yeah, real faith isn't just about what happens privately. Real faith, right, he cares about how people are treated. And that's why we're talking about police brutality. That's why we're talking about systematic racism. That's why we're talking about mental health. Yeah, yeah, because we have a God. She's with us and she cares deeply about how her children are treated. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about mental health. As we begin, I want to just give a quick preface. Number one, your story, your experiences with mental health are sacred. And, uh, and, and we're glad that you are part of our community wherever you're at. Number two, um, I am super cool, but I am not a mental health expert. I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a public policy maker. Um, and so I'm going to speak from my experience. I'm gonna speak from God's story. I'm gonna speak um, from, from my story, but um, I would make sure that you get your mental health advice from the experts. And number three, um, <laughs> Uh, we have like 25 minutes. Um, I could talk about police brutality, Jesus, uh, mental health, and racism. Just one of those topics for hours. So I I'm not going to be able to talk about everything. I'm probably going to miss some really significant things. Uh, this is not meant to end the conversation. It's meant to begin the conversation. Amen? Um, amen. So let let's begin. Mental health. So this isn't just like an idea for me. Um, this is something I've experienced. This is something I've struggled with. Um, I remember about five years ago, I was a, I was a junior in college 
and I went through some really difficult experiences. And at the end of those experiences, I was very, um, I was very, very burnt out. Um, and and I, I remember, I remember never having context for this, never having an, an analog, never having another thing similar because uh, I, I didn't in the beginning. I didn't feel bad. I just didn't feel anything. Like I, I couldn't feel good, bad. I couldn't feel God. Um, and if I'm honest, I had some really um, bad theology, some really bad ideas about mental health. Like I really believe that if I loved God and loved people, if if I if I was spiritually mature, um, then I would never be depressed, and I would never struggle with my mental health, and I would never have an illness. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could. I wish I could go back and tell a younger Jean that you could do everything right and you could still hurt. You could do everything right and you could still bleed. You could do everything right and you could still break and tear and rip, right? We are human. I mean, we're, we're made in the image of God. We are strong and we're powerful and we're also fragile. Oh, if I could go back and tell my 21-year-old self that God wasn't ashamed of me being sick. Yeah. So I, I, I remember being a season where I, I couldn't eat. I didn't have appetite. I had a lot of anxiety. I couldn't sleep. Um, making decisions was really, really hard. I was paralyzed. I couldn't focus in classes. And ultimately, I had to step, uh, step out of school. I had to drop out and withdraw. But the hard thing is, is that I wasn't just dealing with the difficulty of depression. I was dealing with the shame of, of, of having that depression. I mean, I, I, I wasn't just feeling bad. I was feeling bad about feeling bad. Um, and, and this is all too common, right? We experience shame and we experience the stigma of being honest with that. I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, in that spot in my life, uh, I just, I didn't know how to tell a friend that I didn't, I, I couldn't handle it anymore. I didn't want to tell a friend that I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. I couldn't, I didn't know how to tell a friend that I was having thoughts of suicide. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was so much shame and there was so much stigma. And ultimately, um, I, the decision I had to make was uh, with my mom to, to, to stop school. And I didn't just stop, like I like left. <laughs> you know, I one day I was in class, the next day, uh, I withdrew, and the next day I was on a plane. And I remember I, I probably had a community of like 200 people, but I was so ashamed of telling people I wasn't okay that I think I told two people out of those 200. Everyone else just found out after I was gone. And 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 I tell you that story because I, I want us to understand that I don't just struggle with mental health. We struggle with mental health. We aren't just strong and powerful. We also break and tear. We also bleed and scar. Yeah, yeah. But it's one thing to handle your mental health. That's like an entire challenge on its own. It's another thing, it's another challenge uh, to deal with what happens when we send in the police. When we send in the police to solve a problem that they're very, uh, bad at, at at solving, and and not only we're having a conversation that maybe actually sending in uh, a man with a gun 
uh, doesn't solve a problem or shouldn't be the way we solve problems or even if we use that method couldn't solve a problem yeah yeah what happens when we send in the police so the rest of my story um <laughs> was got it became harder um over the next six months i would slowly heal strengthen and and get back to normal i had a psychiatrist i took my medication i was diagnosed i had a health plan and, and slowly I would start to get better. Um, but when I returned back to school, I would encounter uh, a stigma and a fear of me that existed before I'd ever even set foot on campus again, that existed before I'd even flown to Iowa, right? When you combine a brown person with a history of mental illness and a small town in Iowa, what you get is, is some systematic racism. And what you get is a police brutality that doesn't actually solve the very problem that we have identified. Yeah, yeah, I remember going back to campus. Um, I remember having conversations with a dean, right? With a school person who was concerned. Uh, there was this fear, why, why did I withdraw last semester? What's going on? Um, and I had to explain. My mental health i explain my mental health history to some guy right and 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 i remember over the course of some of these conversations i remember thinking i had to defend um <laughs> i had to explain why i wasn't a danger i had to explain and defend why i wasn't a threat um and i thought one conversation would solve it but i i would realize that there were these conversations happening around campus emails of some kind conversations of some kind where I wasn't just a student with a mental health problem that needed to be solved. I was a danger and a threat that needed to be stopped, that needed to be eliminated. Um, and I would hear this, these conversations where people would talk about, oh, you know, with college campuses right now, the climate, like with mental health, like people have placed bombs <laughs> and shut up the place. You know, we just, we're just, you know, we just concerned and I hear that from another person who wasn't supposed to be talking to this person. It became very, very clear that this stigma was causing people to be afraid of me. And I remember going before the first day of class, going to a big church event in the middle of campus. They called the police on me. I remember going to make an appointment to learn more about the graduate program. Uh, someone on staff called the police on me. Neither of those instances did I threaten anyone. And it was in those moments I realized we have a system where I don't need to make a single threat. We have a system where as a person of color with a history of mental illness, my existence is a threat. Yeah. And I, I was just shocked. I was like this skinny Puerto Rican kid who got good grades. And like, here I am. And like people are calling the police on me. And the police show up and like, did, did he make a threat? Did he commit a crime? Did he do anything? And they're like, well, no, but he... But, but what? But he shouldn't be here. And I remember seeing this intervention from the police and this intervention from my city that wasn't about making me whole. It was, it was about making me go away. Just fast forward, it happened. A day or two after I made that complaint, I was gonna go on a trip. I go to the airport, two officers, um, without any explanation, without any context, um, turn me around, handcuff me, and detain me for about an hour or two before anyone explains why. Um, I'm then taken, put into the back of a police car, 
and driven to Ames, Iowa, where I'm told that I'm being involuntarily placed into the hospital because people were afraid of me. And I remember being in all this, right? And how's, how are we doing? Are we, <laughs> are we helping Jean's mental health yet? Are we helping? You know, and, and I would spend uh, a short amount of time there where the psychiatrist would uh, conclude definitively that I was not a threat to anybody. I had no intention of harming others or harming myself and that I did not need to be there. Furthermore, they had discovered that uh, I'd actually been on the wrong medication. The medication that I'd taken every day for eight months was actually causing me to have negative symptoms because I had been misdiagnosed. They corrected my medication and they told me uh, they recommended that I have a follow-up appointment in a month. Now, all of this was incredibly stressful, incredibly um, traumatic for me. I mean, to this day, when I see a police officer, there is a fear I can feel in my body. Um, and all this intersection, all this action was taken because instead of seeing me like a patient that needed a follow-up appointment and a different medication, I was seen as a danger and as a threat. Yeah. Now, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I believe that that's not how Jesus would respond to those struggling with their mental health. I tell you that story because I believe that's not how Jesus would handle it at all. You see, the God I no, the God I follow is all about healing, is all about setting people free, is all about making people whole. I remember I was gonna, as I was preparing for the sermon, I thought, man, I wanna read every passage where Jesus heals someone or sets someone free. Just as preparation for this message. <laughs> I, I thought that's gonna be real quick. It wasn't real quick. Um, he heals someone or sets someone free, like every single chapter. Like go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Healing and setting people free wasn't like a part of his ministry. Healing and setting people free was his entire ministry, right? Right, and so you think he would have something to say about a system that does the opposite of healing people and setting them free. <laughs> Amen. So uh, we're looking at a, a specific story that I think can speak to my situation, speak to your situation, speak to what our city is thinking and talking about right now. Um, what, what we see is Jesus goes to the synagogue and there is a woman. And this woman has had some kind of disability for the last 18 years, um, some kind of chronic pain, uh, a back a back pain, some kind of uh, struggle that she's had for a large part of her life. And today is not uh, just an inaugural day, this is a Sabbath day. And in this culture, in this religion, in this city, there are rules, you know, there are laws. There's a way of doing things, right? And one of the things that a group of men had decided is that we don't, we don't do anything at all on Saturdays. We don't do anything at all on the Sabbath, right? And this came from a good law that was meant to give people rest, especially in a world where uh, we keep working and working and working. But now this, this rule, this law, this system was actually um, 
becoming really oppressive. And, and so Jesus looks at this woman, sees this woman, doesn't shame this woman, right? And says, um, you've been set free from the sickness and heals her. And, and, and she's healed. And instead of the, the, the religious leaders being happy and rejoicing like everybody else, they're mad. They are, the Bible says, incest. They are furious. Why? Because Jesus broke the rule. Jesus broke the law. Jesus, in healing this person on this day, and you know that Jesus could have healed her on any day, right? Like, I know that, you know that, Jesus could have, he specifically healed her on this day. That was a, a challenge to the system. And so he gets up and in front of everybody says, hey, there are six days where people can work and people can be healed. She should have come on that day. Yeah. Yeah. And what does Jesus do? I love this. This is our God, right? What does Jesus do? He says, you hypocrites. And another translation says, you frauds. Don't you, even on the Sabbath day, untie your ox or your donkey to grab a, a drink, right? Don't you care uh, a little bit about your property, even on the Sabbath, but here we have this daughter of Abraham, this child of God, who has been bound and oppressed for 18 long years. Isn't it necessary that she be set free too? Wow. I mean, just think about it. So, there's so much good to, things to unpack here. Number one, you know, he talks about an ox and a donkey, right? He's saying that this religious leader cares more about his property being damaged than about this person being set free. Could you imagine, you know, a culture <laughs> that cared more about property damage than the damage or destruction of people? Like, could you, could you fathom that? That would be weird, you know? Um, could you imagine, right? It's like saying to a, a rich, wealthy person, hey, hey, like, you cared more about your taxes going up than about that person being murdered in broad daylight. Yeah, 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 God is still speaking, yeah. And then he says this line, right? He says, isn't it necessary that this woman, this daughter of Abraham, be set free, right? Isn't it necessary? Friends, the city, the change that we want is not just possible, it's necessary, right? The change that we want, the new city that we're making isn't just possible. Jesus says it's necessary, yeah. Yeah, and I love this, this line, daughter of Abraham, right? We have in that culture, there wasn't just sickness, it was a shame and a stigma around sickness, right? Like if you had an illness, like the illness that this woman had for 18 years, it was not just seen like you had a medical condition that needed treatment. It was seen as, as a spiritual judgment, right? It was seen as God must be punishing you. God must be angry at you. That is why you are suffering. And those people over there who are powerful and rich, God must be for them because they're doing well and things are, are experiencing blessing. Yeah, yeah. And so Jesus, by calling 
her daughter of Abraham is saying, actually, there's the identity of this woman isn't marked by shame. It's actually marked by family. It's actually marked by belonging. Yeah, yeah. And we see a God. If you leave this message of anything else, we see a God who, who cares more about making people whole, even when it challenges a whole system. Yeah. Because what we're talking about is a system. We're not actually talking about individuals. As I look back at probably like the individuals I interacted with um, in, that, in that situation, I would say eight out of 10 of them um, were neutral towards me. They didn't like me, they didn't love me, they just were doing their jobs. One out of 10 of them, I would say, um, was malicious of some kind, didn't like me or benefited from it or enjoyed it or had some kind of uh, a hate um, that motivated it. But one out of 10 people was actually really nice. <laughs> one out of 10 of those people was actually really kind. Actually, there was one officer who was incredibly kind and uh, and, and and went out of his way to make sure that I, I was treated right. Um, and I'm grateful for that person. I, I really am. I don't want to take away from that. But what we're talking about is a system. We're not talking about individuals. Um, the existence of one or two good cops does not negate the fact that the system as a whole is causing hurt and damage in our community and must be held accountable and must be replaced with something better. Um, and and, and you know, the reality is, is that the system at its best can only eliminate threats, right? It's really good at eliminating. It sucks at identifying threats. Um, a black person going on a run is a threat. A black person um, sitting in their car is a threat. A black person um, sleeping on their couch after a long shift in the hospital in their own home is a threat, right? We, we have a system that even if we were to spend like billions of dollars and retrain everyone and rehire everything, ultimately the system, the best it could do is eliminate threats. But none of this makes anybody whole. Like none of what I went through in a state made me whole and none of these actions cared about my well-being. Uh, and, and they couldn't because that's what the system was for. But we see a Jesus that's actually willing to break the law, break a rule, challenge a system to make one person whole. Yeah, that's the God we serve. That's the God we know. We have a God who is a mother and she cares deeply about how her children are treated. We have a God who is a mother who cares deeply about the well-being of her children. And not only the well-being, but a mother who, who, who loves their children even when they're hurting or sick and is there to see them become whole. That's the God we serve. Amen? And so, c can we imagine a better world? I, I can. Um, I think back at my situation, I think, wow, you know what would have been nice? When these concerns started popping up, instead of sending the police, instead of sending someone to arrest, instead of sending someone to mistreat, instead of sending uh, someone to handcuff, instead of sending what, someone with a gun, you know, I just would have liked someone in the city to say to call me and say, "Hey, Sean, my name is Blank. I I, I work for the city, um, in the mental health division. Um, I'd love to meet with you. Um, could we grab lunch today or, or tomorrow?" And we would grab lunch, and he or she would listen to me, would understand what I was going through, um, and and none of this 
uh, would make me feel afraid and none of this would make me feel like I was going to get in trouble or I was going to um, face consequences, but someone who was actually just there for me, someone who was an expert and had experience in mental health. And then I would want that person to say, hey, we'd love for you to be a part of a program. Um, when, we, when we hear about mental health issues in our community, we like to step in and, and, and work with that person. What we'd like to do is, one, we'd like to do a checkup uh, this week uh, with a psychiatrist, a doctor who can see, hey, is there something wrong with your medication? Is there something wrong with your diagnosis? Is there anything more that we can be doing for you? And number two, we're gonna, be, we're gonna pay for that and we're gonna make a plan with your doctor, with a social worker for the next 12 months. And anything you need in the next 12 months, whether it be appointments or medicine, we're gonna cover. Would you be willing to be a part of that program with us? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, of course, right? Like it's one thing getting in trouble and coercion and violence and another thing completely to be offered help, support, um, and assistance. Friends, we can imagine a better world, right? I can imagine a world where we help people with mental health before they have a mental health issue, right? Where we teach about it in uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school, so that there's no shame or stigma around a mental illness. I can imagine a world where we care about people's mental health as they're struggling, and we think that um, medicine is cheaper than bullets, that that appointments are cheaper than police action, actually, um, and that we would give people the, the help they need. I, I, I believe in a world, I can imagine a world where when we have acute mental health crises that need interventions, we do not send people with blue uniforms, guns, and badges that, that you, usually bring about fear and trauma, but we send professionals with experience um, who know how to handle these tough situations and have the education to do that. And I imagine a world that after people go through mental health crises, that we have a city that cares deeply about getting them back involved into the community and getting them the care they need even after the crisis is resolved. Friends, we can imagine a better world. And as Jesus would say, isn't it necessary that we be set free? Um, how do we close? Um, uh, any talk about systematic oppression um, can get a little discouraging, um, can be a little weighty, can be a burden. Um, and I recognize that. Um, this is an important discussion. I want to thank you for having uh, that discussion with me. But I, I want you to know something that's also true in the midst of all of this pain, in the midst of all of these um, police brutality, mental health issues, um, in a city that, that hasn't responded the way it should. Um, and, it, and, it's this, and it's this truth. It's that God, uh, God was with me. Um, God was with me when they handcuffed me and leg cuffed me like I was a terrorist. God was with me when they put me in the back of a police car. God was with me in hospital rooms and courtrooms. God was with me in classes and coffee shops where people were afraid of me. God was with me when I flew to Iowa and when I drove away. God was with me and his 
presence, God's presence, her presence was with me when my community and my city wasn't. And I want you to know that we're going to fight for a better city and we're going to uh, develop a better city. But um, from now to eternity, I need you to know that God is with you. God is with you in depression and bipolar disorder, and he's with you in anxiety and borderline disorder. He's with you in schizophrenia. He's with you in pain. He's with you in valleys and mountains because our God is a mother, and she cares deeply about how her children are treated. Our God is a healer, and the heart of God is to make you and I whole, even if it challenges the whole system. Amen.